Jay Jeffers sitting down with us today. He has a successful design studio, a line of furniture and accessories with arteriors, a namesake store that is thriving. Let's find out what else is going on. Um, it's summertime, Jay. Yes, it is. Yeah, and I know you and your husband, Michael, have a home in the wine country. Yes. So are you spending some of the summer in St. Helena? We were just there over the weekend. Um, haven't spent quite as much time that as I would like to. I love to go there every weekend. It is my happy place for is sure. It? Yes. Well, I love the sun, so getting out of the foggy San Francisco world, although we haven't had that much fog this year here either, but... You know, I love laying by the pool. I love dinner at night. It's just super chill. It's easy. We don't even have a TV there. So it really kind of is an opportunity to be sim- somewhat semi-unplugged. Yeah. And and that's your retreat. That's, or do you have another place you call your retreat? That's definitely the retreat. Yeah, if you had for to, sure. If you had to pick another place, that's close to San Francisco. If you were to pick like a whole different place, do you have one in mind? No, um, I don't know. That's a that's a very good question. It would be somewhere um, like Mount Tam, Marin. I mean, if it was someplace close, first of all, I mean, I love Lake Tahoe, but I wouldn't want to drive there every weekend. That wouldn't be a retreat retreating thing for me mm-hmm. to drive the three and a half hours. And Capri is just so far to get. Capri to. is so far. I mean. <laughs> So I'm, I'm always, I'm fascinated with the, the retreats. I think they're so cool. Yeah. And you must work on so many for so many of your clients too. Yeah, definitely. Are a lot of them around St. Helena? Uh, we've done some projects there. Tahoe seems to be the place, you know, yeah. lots and lots of clients that are getting places up there because it's really not just for the winter. It probably never was, but I always thought of it as ski, 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 but yeah. it's very year round living and I have clients that spend, you know, entire summers up there. Yeah. They, all the older San Francisco, well, I mean the old San Francisco friends, the ones that grew yeah. up here, yeah. they always have these memories of, oh, I was right on the lake yep. when I was a kid. We had, I don't know, boats. Yeah. <laughs> I they know. all do that, and it's, it's so special. It seems like it has so many great memories. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping to kind of create those same memories. We go up to Healdsburg a lot. Mm-hmm. And that's Love kind of Healdsburg. Like, yeah. It's kind of our like, space that I try to like, make, make a, and it's a memory machine. Yeah. Really. Absolutely. And that's, that must be what St. Helena is, too. Yeah. And you just got done doing the AIDS ride, the, yep. the AIDS life cycle the AIDS from life cycle San Francisco ride. to Los Angeles. Yes. And so my question is, on a scale from one to ten, uh-huh. out of fun, would you guys say that your group slayed it like a ten? Oh yeah, we slayed it. <laughs> <laughs> we slayed it in a big way. <laughs> I saw some Instagram photos. Yeah, and- it was it was a fantastic experience. It was my first time to do it. And uh, I was part of a team called the Iron Taints, which, you know, just the name alone says everything. Oh my gosh. But an amazing, amazing group of guys and one amazing girl. Um, and a really, really just incredible, like one of the top five experiences of my life. Mm. And why the Iron Tanks? <clears throat> You, think? Um, you know, uh, I just joined the team, but you know, I think it's a great, <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's not really true, but you know, it's a goal that we all strive for, I guess, <laughs> I get you. <laughs> because that's the part that ends up hurting the most in most cases when you're oh on a ride for seven days. <laughs> 
So how many days? It, how many days? Seven. Seven days. It's. I think it's six nights and seven days. Yeah. And you had several stops. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So you camp every night, or you what they call princess, which means you get hotels. So uh-huh. we princess two nights and we camped four nights. That seems like a nice modest yeah. mixture. Yeah. But it's really, it's very, it's incredibly well organized. You know, there are 550, I think, roadies on this trip that, you know, there are rest stops every 10 to 15 miles. There's a lunch stop. Um, There's always entertainment at all the rest stops. Um, When you get to camp, you set up your own tent, but there's a truck where you, you know, you take all your stuff, you go get all your stuff, you get your tent, you set your tent up. The showers are set up, there's medical set up, there's um, massage and all of that set up, there's food, there's all of it. So you really, your job is really to ride and have fun. That's really cool. And and be safe and not get injured. And what was the, I mean, tell me about how much money is raised and how that part of it works. Uh, I don't remember the exact number, but it's, it's upwards of $20 million. And in fact, Michael was the number one fundraiser in the U.S. Get out. With $65,000 and I was number seven. Wow. We had $43,000. So between us, we raised over a hundred grand and our our team of 25 people raised something like 225 grand. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, it's really, and and they make the fundraising part of it fun too. There are lots of um, ideas and thoughts for parties and we, you know, sold jello shots and Michael ended up doing a fantastic raffle. And once we sort of announced that we were doing this raffle, Friends came out of the woodwork offering things for the raffle. Tacolicious offered us a dinner. Some friends of ours that are winemakers offered a couple of cases of wine. So there were some really, everybody sort of just pitched in and, and, and the, the amount of dedication um, to this is just an incredible thing. How many years old is that? organization it's it's changed cycle it's changed a few times over the years but it's been happening for something like 24 25 years i mean there were people that they were saying how many times have you done this and there were people that raised their hands that have done it for 24 years there was one man that i think i think he turned 90 on the ride that has been doing the ride for 15 years i mean and then like how many miles is it 545 miles. It's an incredible amount of... Yeah, it's no joke. Pedaling. <laughs> you guys were getting, doing lots of uh, Fairfax, Bolinas, Ridge yes. runs yes. beforehand, that kind yes. of thing? There was lots of training rides. <laughs> do you have a favorite loop you do, like a, a quick 50 or something? You know, we did the uh, Alpine Dam. Um, we did that kind of early on, and it is a really tough thing to do I think and we were doing it with our team and there were a lot of first timers and and a lot of like, a lot of more expert uh, writers and a couple of people that were like are you sure we can make this happen and we were, so we're all like yeah let's do it yeah. I mean and it was it was first of all it's beautiful the the entire ride is beautiful and it is really tough because there's an there's an incline that's I don't know how many feet but several miles and it's a bunch of switchbacks and so it was tough but when we got to the top of that a writer who, uh, Dr. Brian, I, I call him because uh, he is a doctor, but he's an expert bike rider, motorcyclist. Mm-hmm. And he said, if you can do this, the ride is cake for you. Like, there's oh, nothing cool. that's difficult on the ride. And so, Where's that ride, Alpine Dam? Is that Centerfell or is that You know, we, we, we all met in Fairfax and then we went oh. somewhere from there. So okay, I'm yeah. terrible with maps. But that's so it. It's, it's, up, it's somewhere over yeah. there in Marin. Yeah. <laughs> 
there was a point at the top that I could see point raised. So it's like, you know, that yeah, I like that gesture. If like <laughs> listeners could be here, they would see Jay waving the, <laughs> somewhere at, at a, there. Yeah, at a, at a map. <laughs> I decorate the same way, yeah. too. <laughs> <laughs> we need something over here. <laughs> I just gesture. <laughs> um, so you were born and raised in Dallas. Yes. And you had your bachelor's degree from University of Texas and studied at UC Berkeley. Mm-hmm. Um, did I hear once that you had have a, a degree in international business? Yeah, that is my degree from University of Texas. Is yeah. a dual Bachelor of Business Administration, I guess they call it, BBA uh-huh. in international business and marketing. Has that come in, in handy in unexpected ways? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, my first job... Well, I had a few like odd jobs until I got a real job. But my first real job in San Francisco was working for The Gap in their, adver- their in-house advertising department. And I was in the media department, so I was a little more sort of numbers-oriented. And I started out doing all of the mall advertising. Um, for? Because we had lease- leases. When you sign a lease to be in a mall, there are requirements of advertising that you have to do in addition to like national advertising. So it was not a glamorous job. But I worked right next to the PR department, and then I went to work for Old Navy when it was just starting. The division was just beginning mm-hmm. and was a part of like all of the store openings and all that, and just learned an amazing amount about marketing and PR and advertising and selling yourself and you know, doing it in a very sophisticated way. Store opening, that kind of, mm-hmm. you know, like you saw some of that yeah. at a corporate level, but gosh, there's lots of lessons to learn, yeah. even to, to do one. Absolutely. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, and then, let's see. Oh, what was it, what got you off the, what got you inspired to just like, you know, this isn't for me. I'm going, a, I'm going a new direction. Yeah. Going the Jeffers way. Yeah. <laughs> what was it that made you think that? My job at The Gap was not that glamorous. And I think I could have sort of segued into a more creative role or, or something. But I also, um, I realized kind of soon into it that I'm not a corporate America kind of person. Like The Gap was a fantastic company to work for. But the politics involved and the people, I just, you know, I wanted something more creative. I really wanted to to have my own business. I don't know if I really knew that I wanted to have my own business, but I wanted to have my own business. And um, I was kind of searching for the right thing for me. And I literally was, this will age me because there was no internet yet. I was flipping through a course schedule catalog for UC Berkeley Extension. Mm -hmm. And there was an introduction to interior design class starting the next week. Like looking for things like, hmm. I was going to take an art class. I was like, Uh I need to do something at night that's not my job and just like think about this. And there was an introduction to interior design and I always liked it interior design, but I hadn't really thought about it as a career. Like when I was much younger, I was going to be an architect and that kind of Mm. went away. And so I took this class and I just fell in love with everything about it. It was sort of an intro. It was a little bit of art history. It was a little bit of, you know, building materials. It was taught by an architect and, you know, all of it. It was just like, this is amazing. Was there any foreshadowing like when you were really younger? You, you just said you considered being an architect mm-hmm. and some of the other jobs when you were kind of dreaming yeah. early on. Was there, do you remember your first like maybe interior design project, so to speak, when you were a kid? Anything ever come up like that? Well, I can remember because I took a, um, a slide ruler 
to an antique table in our living room and used the side of it and took all the finish off of it basically to design my own house. Like I started drafting. I didn't know what I was doing Mm -hmm. Um, because, you know, we had a one-story house and I really wanted a two-story house. So I just designed (laughs) it. (laughs) So that was was my first. (laughs) Yes. Um, But I, you know, I rearranged my room constantly. You know, my mother growing up, um, she was a big sewer and back in the seventies when wall upholstery was really big, mm-hmm. she, I had wall upholstery, like in, you know, fantastic seventies, brown and orange colors on my wall. And I was, yes. you know, I was just always rearranging everything and playing with furniture. And, you know, I had arc back issues of architectural digest in my closet and those kind of things. So, yeah. so yeah, it's definitely, it's always been a part of me, but I didn't know any interior designers when I was a kid. I didn't know that that was a job that anyone could have. And so it was a new discovery for me that it was possible. Mm-hmm. My first uh, decorating job was after my friends and I, let's just say we broke the fish tank. <laughs> and then and my mom, I was like, mom, you know, <laughs> sorry, you know, shame. This fish tank, we got to figure out a solution. She's like, you know what? It's time to redo your room. And I was like, sweet, can we have black carpet? And I went black walls. I don't know. I was, you know, listening <laughs> to too you? much rock. I, I, got a, I got a wallpaper black accent wall. Wow. And gray nice. walls out of it. She wouldn't let me paint everything black, but I had to do the <laughs> wallpaper. And I got like charcoal black Berber carpet out of it nice. in, the, in the basement. Yeah. <laughs> of the 80s ranch style house. I love in it. In the middle of Missouri. I you love know. it. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure if you ended up being a bricklayer, you could still find the same story. Like, well, the first wall I built. <laughs> yeah, probably. I can still see it today. It's crooked as hell. Yeah. <laughs> but I did it. <laughs> um, so you're an, a, uh, an El Decor A-list designer. Um, do you lean on any sort of positive mental attitude techniques? I mean, is there, is there anything that keeps you focused on being a, you know, a, des- a leading designer in the design world? Oh, no, not really. I mean, I think, I think when I first started out, um, you know, when I decided I was going to be a designer and went back to school, I was also working for uh, a small designer, Richard Witzel, who had a little retail store in the Presidio. But I always felt like I kind of needed to prove myself and I kind of needed to show myself as a person because, you know, I wasn't working for the, the Paul Wiseman's of the world and that sort of thing. And I sort of was like, how am I going to break into this business? Um, so I would, you know, I started a little group of designers that were like all design assistants at the time that now, you know, David Oldroyd was one of them and Stephen Miller and uh, Monica Cardini, who now lives in New York, but worked for Alice Wiley for years and, and that sort of thing. And so I've always kind of I think I'm completely off track. What was the question? Well, the que- no, the, no the, that's really interesting. You kind of built a little group around yeah. it. But the, I guess the question was, you know, is there, is there um, techniques or, or you know, a, a, a drive or a sincere effort to keep really focused and, uh, you know, b- break through barriers yeah. you know, to be a leader in the yeah, design yeah. world, which you are. But so, it sounds like early on you were trying to so develop that was, a path. Yeah, yes. So thank you, for, thank you for that question again. So, yes, that, that kind of was the path. And I, I was trying at that time, I was trying to be seen. Yeah. And I also would use my marketing skills that I'd learned from The Gap and, and, and that sort of thing to, you know, become published. And, you know, I think the first year that I was in business, I was published in what was then... Um, 
California Home and Design was called Northern California Home and Design or something like that. I was published twice in that. So I've always sort of, um, I don't think I've used any techniques, but I've always sort of, well, in the younger days, I feel like I needed to do that to be seen and to gain business and to stay relevant and that sort of thing. And I, you know, I won't, I won't say that I didn't enjoy the attention as well, like being recognized is a very nice thing in, in, in any industry. And today, I just feel like I'm um, keeping my head above water with all these young whippersnappers that are coming up that are very talented. <laughs> do you, um, do you, are you considering making a new group of like of some of them you know, <laughs> to, to like have your finger on the pulse maybe? <laughs> I should. <laughs> I should, except I, I'm afraid they might all call me daddy or something. <laughs> like in the studio, does anybody ever yell up to you in your office like, dad? <laughs> yeah, no. Dad? The fabric isn't in yet. No. <laughs> they do not. <laughs> and let's not suggest that either. <laughs> we, we yell around the studio up and down. <laughs> That's so funny. I kind of sometimes, no one says dad, but I sort of feel like it's sometimes that relationship. You know? <laughs> the teenager! The teen around! <laughs> um, but uh, you and Elise Carroll wrote mm-hmm. an awesome book called Collected Cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, which features your outstanding work. It's really incredible. Thank you. Um, and where did you come up with the title? The title is always one of the difficult things um, in the book world, the title and what's going to be on the cover because everybody chimes in. It's not just me. It's not just um, me, myself and Elisa or my book agent, uh, Jill Cohen, but um, everybody because the sales team is looking at it into like, how does it compare to all the other titles that are coming up and how's mm-hmm. it going to look on a page or a brochure? How's it going to look online? Because that's the first thing anybody's going to see. So, um, we went through a bunch of different titles and, you know, came up with, you know, all the buzzwords that, that came up for me were, you know, chic and comfortable and luxurious, but livable and all those kind of things that, you know, I would say one word and Jill Cohen, who knows the, the interior design book world very well, would be like, so-and-so did that this year or so-and-so did that three years ago or so-and-so did that or this is, you know, that's too casual country kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I'd always use the word collected to kind of dis- define my style. Mm-hmm. And somebody, I don't know whether I said it or Elisa had written it or where it really you came said from. It. You said but, it. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> But it it just came, those two words came together and then we started looking at it, you know, graphically and what that looked like on the book and it was, it was the right one. It's really cool. Uh, those two words create quite a nice uh, design direction, you know, and I, yeah. I, I, I know that I've heard you say that before, um, but yeah, collected so that it doesn't look like you just got your house done. Yeah. It's like, you know, pulling some history forward. It's uh, making a new memory. Yeah. I want, a, I want a home, any home, to feel like it's been collected over time, even if it's, you know, brand speaking new and super modern. There's still like having those pieces that have soul to them. And even if it's not your own soul yet, you know, like yeah. a vintage piece that's been banged up a little bit or things that aren't perfect. But, but also then for clients, it's, you know, you know, having artwork that they love in it and family photos and all that stuff that, that really makes a home, makes a house feel like a home. Mm-hmm. And to me, that word is collected. Mm-hmm. So 
And I think all of my work is pretty cool. So Collected Coal worked out really well. It did. It's an <laughs> awesome book. Um, any other buzzwords or combination titles that you're kicking around? Are you thinking about a new book ever? Thinking about it, yeah. I've been, um, we've been sort of putting together work that hasn't been published since that book and looking at it and seeing what that means and what it might be. And, you know, I feel like the sting of creating a book, it's, it's definitely a labor of love. I think that's worn off just enough that I could start thinking about another one. <laughs> um, nice. And so I've got a few, uh, I use a few of these words. Um, curiosity without the chaos. Mm-hmm. Somebody said that to me once. Yes. Um, I use lifestyle scientist. Oh, like that's them. nice. Lifestyle scientist. I like that. Uh, rad elegance. Rad elegance. I know that's a little weird, but I yeah. like it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it fits. It's very you. It fits you very yeah. well. Um, this one's new. It's kind of lame, but <laughs> <laughs> refined rock star. Eh, I'm going to go thumbs down on that. But I mean, uh, you know, there probably are refined rock stars out there, so it makes sense. Um, uh, yeah, don't actually tell me what you think. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but what about your favorite project? Oh my gosh, I always say that I, you know, never play favorites with my children. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I really, honestly, I have so many projects that I just, you know, it's it's happened, and it's even it's, it's happened two or three times this year. We've had some very big projects be installed, and I'm sort of like, oh my god, this is my favorite project. And then I look at another project, I'm like, oh my god, this mm-hmm. is my favorite project. Yeah. Um, there is one that I did several years ago. Uh, in Pacific Heights, it was, I did a show house for Metropolitan Home Magazine, and we did the top floor, and the house was on the market at the time. A single gentleman bought it, and then hired us to come in after the show house was over and decorate the rest of the house. And I feel like that we were, um, our tastes were very, very, very much in sync with each other. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that happens with most of my clients. I think, you know, they're there are couples, there are couples with families, they're, they're very formal or they're informal, I don't know. The, but this guy, we just were, our tastes were very much in sync and I would put everything I put in his house, I would put in my own house. Cool. So when I see, even when I see photos of his home today, I'm sort of like, okay, I could still live there. You know, that's a really, really fantastic house. I sort of um, pitch my, or I, yeah, I make the pitch to my clients that, you know, we're doing it this year, but I don't expect it to be, you know, you know, I, I consider it to have a shelf life of some sort, mm-hmm. but I do want it to have at least five years of, you know, fashion, um, forward feeling relevance, relevance, yes. that's a better word. Feel current. Yeah. Do you have a kind of timeline you look at with your clients where you're, you recognize you can't see the future, but you're, yeah. you know, not really. I mean, we really, we strive for something to feel like it's timeless, to be timeless. Um, I think that's impossible because colors have, a, a, you know, a shelf life and a mm-hmm. trend. And, you know, one color can be hot one year and in, and, and, you know, eight to ten years or even sooner it might look dated. But I think that, I think part of the collected cool, I did that in quotations, collected yeah, cool, um, style, like if you do have things that are from different periods and from different ages, and if you're, if the, if the work and the, the pieces that go into the room are of qual of a quality that you're going to keep them for a long period of time. Um, I don't know that things need to change that often. You know, it may be like, 
we've sat on the sofa in the same spot for the last seven years, so we need to yeah. reupholster the sofa, but still yeah. love the sofa. Or it mm-hmm. may be our kids, you know, we did this room when they were five, and now they're 15, and so we need to change some things about it. But I like for things to just feel like they... I, like, I also love for a house to age, you know? It's, it's crazy to me for people to have this desire that nothing ever changes, you know, that nothing gets scratched. You know, the floors are perfect 10 years from now. It's like, I always say the first scratch is the one that hurts the most, but you know, that's just, you know, I like finishes that will change over time. And I like, you know, yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah. I'm with (laughs) you on that. Uh, Oh, can you remember your first client? I can remember, um, yes, I can. One of my first clients was the vice president of the department I was in at The Gap. Uh And I was going back to school. When I went back to school, I had a very cool boss at The Gap, Lori Halliday, was amazing. And I went to her and told her what I was doing. And I had it all worked out. I was going to, because I was a full-time employee at the time, I was going to cut down to 75% of the time. And I was going to work from like 7 in the morning until 1.30 in the afternoon or something like that. And then I was going to go to school. And I had, uh, uh, I worked like two days a week for Richard Witzel at the time. And um, while I was going to school, Jane, who was the VP of the uh, department that I worked for, they had just bought a home in Mill Valley, and she was like, "Just come over and like check it out." And it was very small. It was like, you know, some blinds in the window and a couple of chairs and those kind of things. And then they bought a big house, and so um, I kind of made that my project and worked with them. And and in fact, when I started working with Richard Witzel full time, I still had them as a client, so they sort of were enveloped into into being you know, that, those people. Yeah. Yeah. With, um, what do you think the hardest part? Oh, yeah. What do you think the hardest part of your job is? Or the, the, the job of, you know, making interiors great mm. again, <laughs> forever. <laughs> <laughs> um, and maybe it's not hard. Maybe it's just a pleasure every day. <laughs> well, I do. Everyone would know I was lying if I said that. <laughs> I, I don't, that's funny. I don't, I'm trying to like, nothing's hard and everything's hard. You know, like I have a really, really incredible team of people that I work with that I've, I've always had good people in my office. Um, but I have a really, really incredible team of people right now that I trust implicitly. So they make my job very easy. So I would actually, I would say the hardest part of the job is going out and getting more jobs Mm -hmm. because even though I've been doing this for 18 years now and the referrals come in, the, you know, the jobs, some go to me and some go to other people. So I think it's never ending. And I kind of always thought like, Oh, once I become a big famous designer or this or that, the jobs will just roll in and I won't have to worry about that anymore. You check out and go on vacation. Yeah. Or, yeah. you know, I, you know, they call me and I say, yeah, I'll send you a contract and they sign it and then it's done. It's like, yeah. well, that has never happened and I'm sure never will. Yeah. You know, it's sort of making sure that you're out there in front of people and meeting people and, you know, people see your work and know of you and, you know, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. That's probably the hardest. 
Yeah. Do you ever look back on the work, you know, 10 years ago and then it kind of try to quantify it back with where you're going now? Is it, is it a big differentiation uh, from what you're doing now, the mm. new chartered course? Or I think, it... I, I think, yes, I look back at some things and, and, you know, some things I sort of close my eyes and say, oh, wow. Did I think of that? <laughs> Could, is it possible to scrape the internet? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I also look back at things that like I wouldn't do today, but I remember I'd be like, oh my God, I was so excited to, fin- that. to finish that room. And I thought mm-hmm. that room was the shit. And you mm-hmm. know, at the time it probably was the shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think also my job has evolved. My clients has evolved, but the budgets that I work with have evolved for the most part, not all of them. Um, so I think that the work has changed for sure. Mm-hmm. And, um, and thank God it has, you know. If I, if I was still doing what I was doing, you know, 10 years ago, I would be bored out of my mind. Oh, yeah. I'd tell our team that and even some of the new clients, like, you know, I'm doing this work because I dig it. Yeah. Like, I get up every day and, like you said, like, thank God it's different. Thank yeah. God I mean, I'm, like, challenging myself or I think getting better still. Yeah. And, you know, getting cooler at it and... Yeah, I thank God. I mean, I you probably could uh, run a successful department at whatever you know <laughs> corporation you decided to, or yeah. I'm sure I could do um, and, and many other things. Probably run um, leagues of bicyclists all over the world. You know, yes. <laughs> I could, but I'd choose this, and you, you know, yeah. we choose this because it's delicious. Yeah, and it's fun. Yeah, um, we used to have a rule in our in our office that um, we never did anything twice. Uh huh. That's that's relaxed a little bit <laughs> these days, <laughs> because there are things that I really like, or I might be like, you know, if I'm looking at something and and like there's one piece missing or there's a light fixture missing, I'm like, what about that one that we did? And I pull, out, I have all my projects on the phone. I'm like, that one that was in the bedroom. We could change the finish and do that. Let's do that one. Yeah. Because there are things that you just love that you want to see again and again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Old friends. Yes. You know? I've been talking to architects at Stanley Sidowitz and Jonathan Feldman mm-hmm. the last two podcasts, mm-hmm. and it's been really fun. You know the saying, there's never um, a bad idea, mm-hmm. but there are bad ideas, aren't there? <laughs> I think there are bad ideas. <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, my mentor and previous boss, Richard Witzel, his, his saying, if, if a client or somebody would suggest something that was not, he would be like, oh, I never would have thought of that. Oh, man. <laughs> and so I use that quite a bit. I never would have thought of that. Not with clients, but I use it yeah. as a joke oh, with, yeah. you know, with people. <laughs> I heard a great one uh, that seems really um, client-friendly, too. I think we can do better. Yeah. It's really, really a positive spin on it. Yes. Although I can't muster it. Yeah. I have like this face that everybody says, he doesn't like it. Like, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not studied yet. Um, what do you uh, think the most gratifying part of your job is? Uh, happy clients. I think the you know seeing people's faces when they come home after you. You know we. We do the whole like big reveal where if we're installing a house, we tell the clients depending on how long it takes. Like you can't be here. You know, if it's a five-day, you know, process, either go on vacation or they're probably, most of the time they're not living there anyway, but like, please don't come to the house. You can't see anything. Don't come by. Don't look at anything. And we literally will install and take it as far as they'll let us down to artwork, accessories, you know, dishes and everything else. So the, 
And a lot of times these projects are projects that have gone on for several years and they might have chosen the furniture and the fabrics like, you know, a two year and a ago. half, two yeah. years ago. Yeah. So they're sort of like, you know, we've seen it all. We're, we're, a, we're a part of the process the entire time, but they haven't seen it in, in ages. And they come in, they're like, oh my God, I forgot we picked that. I love that. But yeah. seeing people's faces when they come in, that is very much, it's a very similar sort of thing that is, Oh my gosh, this is my house. Oh my gosh, I live here. You mm-hmm. know, it's it's and the people that are so the, the clients. I, I feel very lucky with the majority of my clients over the years, and that they really are grateful for what they have. Most in the from the most part, they've worked really hard to get there. And this is you know they're creating a dream home for themselves, or or they've hired us to create a dream home dream home for them, and it's for them. Um, and I think that they're incredibly, you know, grateful that they've worked hard to get there and grateful that they have someone like myself and my team to, to execute it and, and realize their dreams for them. Uh, it's, it's a lot of work and, and it's, uh, uh, it's nice that when people really appreciate it, have yeah. you had people tear up before? I've had a few I have. installations yeah. where they're, yeah, there. I had one client who we were, we were taking her through, um, which is always a little awkward because it was like myself, my senior designer, the architect. So there are like five people taking this woman through her house and basically giving her a tour of her own house. And we got to her dressing room, which is the sickest dressing room we've ever done. I mean, it's just beautiful. And she's like, I can't even go in there. I have to go in there later. Cause I knew she was like, she was like, I will lose it. And so we, so we showed her the rest of the house and she went into her dressing room by herself later at another time, you know, (laughs) that's really sweet. Um, well, tell us about uh, the process of designing your line for interiors. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have complete artistic freedom? Uh, is it difficult working, or did you feel like you had to work for somebody else, or you had a boss over you? Or uh, it was very, very collaborative. Arteriors is they're a fantastic company to work with, and we really, you know, we started out with this. We did two collections for them. We started out with a smaller collection that was really more accessories um, and smaller pieces focused on entertaining, you know, trays, ice buckets, little cocktail tables, anything that helps you drink, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, you know, the owner uh, is a friend of mine and we've become better friends. And in fact, I'm designing his house in um, Dallas right now. Um, And we kind of have the same, you know, attitude towards entertaining and it should be fun and glamorous and fantastic and, and all that. So the you know, it sort of starts for us with inspiration and images and ideas. And then we have a powwow with the people of our terriers and, and they might say like, you know, that bar cart's great, but we have one sort of similar to it. Or, the, you know, these things, these are the things we really want you to focus on. And then we'll go through the design process and do CAD drafting of the pieces and all of that. And then they go to the factories. And sometimes it comes back and they say that, you know, the factory can't make this to, to our satisfaction. So we think we should pass on this and we might pick it up again later. And then prototypes will come in. And then I go to Dallas and I look at prototypes and some of them, I'm like, this is perfect. Some of them like, we need to change this. What about this? What about that? And, um, the greatest thing about our tears is if there was anything that I sort of was like, you know, I just don't think that represents what I want it to represent. They'd be like, okay, let's not do it. You know, there was no like, this is going to be a big seller or what if we do this or, you know, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And then the second collection was, 
um, a lot of furniture pieces, upholstery, lighting, case goods, a lot of stuff, which is kind of new for our interiors as well. They've just recently started doing that, that level of furnishing. So it was really fun to work with them on that um, and work with the factories. So it's, it's, it was a great experience, definitely. Um, and how did you get locked in with them? How did that come about? Funny enough, I was at a design conference in New York and um, there was a round table and Mark Musa was, he was a sponsor of, of uh, Arterius was a sponsor of this, um, this summit that I was at. And he was at my table and I met him there. And then I got, I met him at the sort of closing night ceremonies and he was like, let's get together. I'd love to hear more about your business. I didn't know that I was on a short list of, of guest designers for them at the time. But I was like, sure, would love to. That'd be great. And didn't really think much about it um, for a while. And then I was in, Michael and I go to this little tiny hotel for New Year's every year in Zihuatanejo, Mexico. Oh, it's 28 rooms. Um, it's very sort of private and secluded. And the same people kind of go every year. But we're having breakfast and all the breakfast tables look out towards the water. And I look over and I see the back of Mark Musa's head, uh, who owns Arterios. And I was like, I think that looks like Mark Musa. That's so weird. But I'm going to, so after breakfast, I walked up to him and he tells the same story. And he's like, you know, we don't know anybody there. It's very quiet. Everyone's private. And I could feel this entity sort of coming up towards me from the back. And I'm like who's coming up to talk to me right, you know, literally like, who is this person? And I was like, Mark. And so, and he and his girlfriend at the time, now wife are, were staying there the entire time we were. So we had lots of pool conversations about life and entertaining and drank the, the entire hotel out of Rosé one day. So had a, had a ball basically. Yeah. And even then he didn't talk about my doing a collection with them, but I got a call probably two weeks into January or three weeks into January asking me if I would consider doing this. And I was, I said, of course. Yeah. How killer. Yeah. That's a great story. Um, so how about this? I'm going to do a, a, a uh, reaction to some of these words. Okay. Like, kind of like a flash. Like I'm supposed to say one word or something. I, I, guess, I don't know. I will go. <laughs> you can say as many as you want. Okay. <laughs> but then at the bottom it gets like, maybe you want to get like, your words okay okay so favorite place to travel europe um and what place you'll never go back to silence is deadening oh <laughs> i can't think of i can't think of one if i if it comes back to me i'll tell you that was like positive spin on like the place you hate no <laughs> Please I'll never go back to. <laughs> I can't honestly. I can't think of one. Um, I haven't been back to it so to it to it in so long. Whatever it is. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. If you start designing a room with one thing, what is it? Uh, it's usually fabrics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And then a favorite cocktail. Uh, currently, the mezcal negroni is my favorite. Nice. Favorite meal. If I'm in Texas, Mexican food. Um, otherwise, um, well, my favorite meal of all time is the Zuni chicken. So oh I would have gosh. to go Zuni chicken. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I just got a Zuni gift certificate. You just reminded me. Oh, you know, Greg it. Glenn. Yeah. He, he gave Trey and I a, a gift. Together. Oh, nice. Yeah. Good. You got to put your order in. As you got to order get the there. chicken as soon as you sit down. Like pre-cocktail. And then you order the rest. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> That's uh, the 2.0. Yeah. That's, that's the local version of, yeah, the, yeah, of yeah. the Zuni chicken. 
Um, favorite city, not counting San Francisco? New York City, probably. Dog or cat? Dog. Pink or purple? Oh, pink. Blue or gray? Blue. Favorite metal finish? Uh... I would say burnish brass because I think that's kind of what we've been using a lot, but I'm really kind of into pewter right now too. Hmm. I love that sort of warm silvery color of a pewter finish. Okay. Check on that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. This is where it gets a little weird, but you know, I think it's funny. Uh, Favorite type of pet fish. If you were to have one. Barracuda. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever fished? (laughs) <laughs> yes <laughs> very very long time ago what did you fish for <laughs> i was deep sea fishing all right did you catch anything yes i did i have no idea what it was big but... tuna <laughs> um, what are the things with the big um, a swordfish yeah, I think. A swordfish do you know what they do with the those <laughs> did you hang it up is it epic i did <laughs> do you know i didn't those... really catch a sword do you know what those swordfish are that the big poles on the front of their nose are for what they go into like a group of minnows or whatever, the small fish they try to eat, and they whip them aside, aside they whip that side to side in order to and disorient them. And it knocks them, them. out? Uh-huh. It knocks them out? Knocks them unconscious? It knocks them out of their swimming oh. uh, spool, pool. And oh. then they munch. They don't like spear things with it, which is what you'd think. <laughs> That's what I thought. Okay. Um, let's see. Oh, favorite wood species? Uh, <laughs> um... <laughs> I'm trying to think of the name of it. Um, uh, Burled Walnut, I'm going to say. Oh, that's nice. Because we just, there is this, uh, Andy from our office sent this photo of this beautiful bowl, and it was completely bleached Burled Walnut. So it was like almost white. Oh, wow. It's so beautiful. So we've been, since then, this is probably a year and a half ago, since then we've been trying to figure out how to get this bleached Burled Walnut onto furniture. Uh-huh. Would bird's eye maple stained walnut color do it for you or not so much? No, it's like, it's literally white. It's like yeah. this bleached color. Oh, so yeah, yeah. beautiful. Interesting. A uh, favorite wood boring beetle. Okay, you don't have to answer that. <laughs> if I had one, I would I don't you. know. <laughs> okay, so what advice would you give um, other designers, young designers, uh, wanting to create a beautiful studio like you've done? Mm-hmm. And maybe even uh, young architects, what type of advice might you give them? Um, I would uh, I tell everybody if they if it's if they want to know. I mean, it's all of it is super hard work. So work hard and enjoy it. If you're not having fun, then you have to change what you're doing or change how you're doing it because it should absolutely be fun. And um, I tell everybody photograph your work. Don't. Don't try to photograph it yourself. Don't wait for a magazine to photograph it. Just photograph your work. And if it's not finished, then bring stuff in to finish it and make it look finished and still photograph it and then take that stuff out. And chances are your clients are going to buy all that stuff anyway. <laughs> Good advice. I've heard you say that before too on the photograph all your work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that that was an advantage that when you went to do your, your book. Oh, yeah. There was, uh, I didn't have to reshoot anything. We had yeah. so much work photographed already um and i think too in you know maybe it's not so much anymore but back in the day 
um, magazines would all photograph for you if they were going to publish something. So you yeah. really didn't have to photograph it. But there are things that I'm like, oh, this is going to get published. No problem. I'm not going to photograph it. And then it would never get picked up. Mm-hmm. Editors would always say, like, just send me scouting shots. And that's a bunch of BS. Yeah, you need to send them professionally f- photographed, beautiful scouting yeah. shots is what you need mm-hmm. to send them. And then, you know, these days they want to use your photographs for the most part, unless it's the yeah. national magazine. So yeah. it's, it's an advantage for everyone to photograph your work. And um, what's your favorite room? This will be my last question. What's your favorite room in your house and Why? Uh, well, my, my apartment in San Francisco is a one bedroom, 850 square foot. So the whole, you know, room is probably my favorite room, but I would probably say my living room in St. Helena actually, because it's, um, big open space and lots of sunlight and, um, there's a fireplace. So when it's chilly, it's cozy. And when it's sunny, it's bright and light and it's just, it's, you know, you're looking out onto our backyard, which looks out onto somebody else's vineyard, which is the best kind of vineyard to have. And it's just a great place to be. That's cool. And it's, it's very uh, artistic feeling, right? I think so. I mean, it's fairly modern, but you know, there's one wall that's covered in reclaimed wood and a chevron pattern. And um, the fireplace is made out of oyster shells. And the dining table is plaster by Stephen Antonson. So it has a lot of texture and, and um, uh, it's just it's a, it's a magical place to be. Do you have a like a salon wall of artwork there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think I've seen that. Yeah, it's really cool. Well, hey Jay Jeffers, thanks for sitting with us here in the studio. It's a pleasure always to see you and to hang out. And thank you. My pleasure. This was it was fun to take a little stroll down memory lane. Yeah. <laughs> cool.